From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, Unusual Lasers at AAO 2018. We utilize a femtosecond laser and apply it to an IOL that's inside the eye already to essentially affect any type of change that, um, that we can think of. First this. I travel a lot. It's one of the perks of the work I do. As fantastic as Hangzhou or Jaipur or Barcelona are, I'm always amazed at how beautiful my own country is. Nowhere is this more in evidence than in Park City, Utah. Words truly fail. That's why I'm so happy that iWorld holds its surgical summit in Park City. Join me in this collegial, informal, and highly educational event in one of the most beautiful places on earth. Go to surgicalsummit.iworld.org. That's surgicalsummit, one word, iWorld.org. I'll see you on the slopes. I had the opportunity to interview a number of people advancing the forefront of ophthalmology during the 2018 annual meeting of the American Academy of Ophthalmology in Chicago. Edited versions of these interviews are presented on the iWorld Replay website as brief videos. I'm going to present these videos in their entirety over a number of podcasts. Today, we hear from George Waring IV on refractive alteration of extant IOLs, and from Peter Karth on subthreshold retinal laser treatment. I'm here with George Waring IV, member of the ASCRS Refractive Clinical Committee. Uh, George, I'm so happy to, to, to speak with you. You always bring these really, really cool things, uh, and uh, not least today. Um, I have a, a, a confession. Sometimes I wind up with a refractive result after cataract surgery that is not what I intended, but not so huge that we're really talking about explanting lenses. And even if the patient winds up satisfied, I am often not. Now, you are my, my hero because you're going to get me out of this situation. <laughs> Well, Josh, uh, we have great opportunities uh, now and in the future uh, where we'll be able to handle these types of situations uh, much more readily. So what are we referring to? Well, um, one of these exciting opportunities is a technology called refractive index shape changing, RIS. And really, this is a, a, a concept where we utilize a femtosecond laser and apply it to an IOL that's inside the eye already to essentially affect any type of change that, um, that we can think of. So um, what am I talking about here? Well, essentially, um, imagine that we have a patient that had a refractive miss, uh, then we uh, would potentially be able to utilize a, a, a specific type of femtosecond laser where we can actually do something called a, a, a phase wrapping technique, which is like creating a 3D image within a 3D space. So this is a, um, it's a, it's a hydrophilicity shape change. And so it's selectively changing the refractive index and, and it, almost in a way that you're creating a 3D shape w by selectively creating and changing the refractive index of a certain area of space. Um, this has been utilized uh, to, uh, uh, so far, it, we can 
do defocus change, myopic, hyperopic, astigmatic changes, um, spherical aberration changes, multifocal changes. That is, we can reverse multifocality, we can add multifocality, uh, and, um, and what I'm talking about here really is on the bench. So this is all um, relatively upstream um, and has, um, but holds great promise because what started out as a very interesting research project uh, has kind of keeps seeming to work and keeps seeming to work with a, a great deal of accuracy. The other neat thing about this is that it really preserves the optical quality, it seems. So the, the, the testing that's been done, uh, you would think it might have some degradation in image quality, but it actually doesn't. So the MTFs are preserved after these treatments, and you can provide and actually produce sequential treatments. Uh, it looks like up to five, five times in a row, actually without having a, a degradation in image quality. So um, very, very cool stuff. Um, definitely a, a disruptive uh, technology, still upstream. Um, we, we still have things to learn, uh, but um, absolutely one of the neatest things that I've had the opportunity to work on uh, in my career. Now, first of all, this sounds magical, and, and for all I know, maybe it is. Um, so, but let, let me sort of spell things out. So it is not that you're talking about some specialty lens that you are refractively shaping. Uh, as long as the IOL material is acrylic, this technology is agnostic to the particular model of uh, lens. Is, is, is that sort of grossly true? It's grossly true. So it's, it's really designed for, at this point, a, a, a acrylic material. And there are certain properties of different acrylics, as you know, that may lend itself to, to more optimized treatments. But um, when we look at, at, at the different acrylics on the market um, and you kind of graph it out, doing the same types of treatment, it actually seems to work beautifully. Oh, that's that's interesting because I mean, as 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 you say, the the the, the different materials from different companies are are different, you know. Uh, so this is a technology whereby you use uh, some sort of laser treatment to, to correct me if I'm wrong, create regions within the implant lens that have refractive indices that are different. Uh, from um, what they were before the laser treatment and what they are surrounding the area of the of the laser treatment, but doesn't this? And, and uh, I'm glad that you brought up the modulation transfer function curves because that's interesting. That would have been one of the questions I would have asked, because I, I, I would have thought that all of these micro refractive index boundaries within the lens would cause tons of, of scatter, but you don't find that. Right. Um, think about how a femtosecond laser works. So um, we know that this creates a, a selective plasma bubble that tends to dissipate over time. And it's really not that different. So think about your LASIK femto flaps or your laser uh, cataract surgery, and you see all the bubbles for a period of time, and it tends to dissipate. So it's, it's that type of treatment. But this also selectively changes the refractive index, which really does not have an impact. In fact, this is probably best exemplified by um, on the bench when we create multifocality, we can actually see a, 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 a expected decrease in modulation transfer function by reassigning the light from a single focus point to two different focus points. Let me say it a, a different way. Um, when we now reverse that, it actually rebuilds back the modulation transfer function. And to go one step further, if we take an existing multifocal lens with a lower MTF than a monofocal, 
right? We can actually reverse that multifocality and increase the MTF, rebuild the MTF by assigning all the light to one focal point. So it's actually quite extraordinary that what we've kind of always known, we're actually t able to take under in, a, in this scientific circumstance and, and reassign the light far and near differentials in addition to the add power. So it's actually taking two different aspects of a multifocal bifractive lens or, or a bifocal multi multifocal lens, two different aspects of it, and then customizing. Yeah, it. reassigning the sort of photon budget for it. That's really really interesting stuff, uh, George. I hope that 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 um, that all of this 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 stuff pans out, and that we wind up with a tool like this for 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 clinical use. It would be really really wonderful. Uh, I want to thank you for for sharing this this with me now, and with the unspoken promise that you're going to keep me up to date. Uh, with this project at future meetings. Uh, and as always, I want to thank you for being so very generous with your time with us. Josh, thanks so much. It's great to be here. I'm here with Peter Karth. Peter, I'm excited about this conversation because it's, uh, I don't often get the opportunity to talk about something that's posterior to the posterior capsule because it usually it frightens me. Um, it, it, Peter, we are going to be talking about uh, sub-threshold uh, therapy. Just give me the sort of context and then I, I have specific questions about this study. Certainly. So subthreshold laser is a non-damaging uh, therapy uh, that can be used on the retina for macular edema of all types. The classic case, of course, is DME, but it works in CSR uh, and uh, RVOs as well. Uh, this, the efficacy of subthreshold of any modality has been you know, borne out in the published literature. Uh, my study is specifically about safety. So... Um, I just because you and I spoke off of camera, and I have a sense of, of what subthreshold means. Uh, explain what subthreshold is. Certainly. So typically, uh, when you do a uh, laser burn to the retina, you can see it. There's a white spot that is immediate coagulative damage. So the threshold of damage is what's considered a uh, barely visible burn, uh, and that is a little bit of a misnomer. Threshold is the vi barely visible burn. There is still damage happening as you reduce the power, but subthreshold means, in essence, invisible burns. And, and there's evidence that, as, 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 you, as you mentioned, that despite the fact that you can see it, that there's some, some clinical Absolutely. benefit to it. Now, in, in the anterior segment world, uh, when we deliver a pulse from an eczema, we know the amount of tissue that's going to be ablated, if we're doing FACO on a certain density of lens, we know what we're going to get out of it. But threshold for a, a, a retinal laser treatment means different things for different complexions. How do you, how do you gauge what is subthreshold? There's no, it's definitely not one size fits all. Right. It's uh, not one size fits all. And the threshold is by definition um, gauged let's say, or adjusted to the individual. So depending on your pigment, you're going to have a different power that creates a barely visible or, or threshold burn. Uh, and that's part of the, the treatment algorithm with uh, endpoint management is to titrate the entire treatment, basically calibrate the entire treatment to the patient, to the specific patient and their pigment levels. So 
Uh, I want to talk about the study, but I have one last question first, which is, is this. Can you talk me through a, a treatment? What, what do you actually do? Certainly. So treatment is uh, very similar to traditional grid laser treatment, macular grid laser treatment. So, uh, you know, after putting a, a dilating and a drop of uh, preparacaine on the patient, I sit them in front of the laser, put a, uh, a laser lens on the eye with a little uh, goniovisc or coupling solution, uh, and then you aim uh, the, usually it's a pattern, or you can uh, move, move the uh, aiming beam around uh, with a single spot application. And uh, you, in essence, uh, can paint the macula, including over the fovea, and that's really where my study comes in. But you can go over the fovea uh, and all over the macula with the subthreshold laser. The, the, of course, what's happening is heat shock protein, which are healing proteins. Heat shock pro proteins are expressed with stress, not with damage. So we want to stress these cells, slightly raise the temperature so heat shock proteins are expressed and we get a regenerative or rejuvenative effect to reduce macular edema. And that's been shown uh, in basic science and clinical science papers. And Peter, you're doing uh, not patterns but single shots for your calibration of what is threshold for that's that, that, that particular patient. That's correct. So what was the, the nature of, of this study? Right, so this study uh, was the first in human of this sort of study, longitudinal uh, adaptive, uh, longitudinal study with seven uh, multi -image, multimodal imaging modalities and the, kind of the important one being adaptive optics. So adaptive optics is a modality where you can look at individual photoreceptors, rods and cones, uh, and count them uh, very, very easily. So um, in essence, uh, we performed a subthreshold laser with uh, the Pascal laser by Topcon using endpoint management, uh, which is an al a built-in algorithm that manages the, uh, the pulse power in a, in a predictive uh, way. So we took this, uh, and interesting uh, fact about this is we actually did it in my own eye. So I had uh, the, all, all these studies, or this study done uh, in my own eye uh, for research purposes. Um, so basically, we imaged my eye with all these different uh, 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 modalities, then applied the three areas of laser, uh, subthreshold laser, and then followed this with the same imaging modalities over time. So that's sort of the methods of the paper. And uh, this was a, a safety study. Right. Uh, what did you find? Right. So. Um, interestingly, uh, and, and this is you know, confirmation of the basic science lab work that has been done, uh, at 75% of threshold power, uh, fairly you know, significant, although invisible to the human eye, um, fairly significant damage to the photoreceptor arrays, which did not fully come back over time. And that's what we expected. At the 50% range, much less damage. So uh, initial damage, uh, then a reduction uh, in photoreceptor arrays in those areas, and then some regeneration as new photoreceptors sort of slid in. And this has been, been uh, known. The, what really matters is that 25% of threshold uh, showed absolutely no damage on adaptive optics uh, throughout all time frames. And what this shows is on a uh, photoreceptor level, this laser is entirely safe and can be done in the fovea uh, or anywhere, uh, anywhere in the retina. So it really is uh, the first time that we can look in a human and say that this non-damaging treatment actually is non-damaging. Really, really, really interesting. When are we going to see an efficacy study? 
Well, there's lots of efficacy studies that have been published. So uh, I, I am in the process of working on one, but uh, it show, the subthreshold endpoint management laser uh, shows really good results in DME uh, in a study recently published uh, a year or two ago. Chronic CSR uh, is very well treated with, uh, with this modality. So it's always an adjunctive treatment, at least in DME, uh, two shots. Uh, but in CSR, there really is uh, chronic CSR. There's really no treatment uh, except subthreshold laser. Oh, really, really, really interesting stuff, Peter. I want to thank you for for, for bringing this compelling topic to us, for making it also very clear, uh, for being so very generous with your time with us today. Well, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate your time. George O. Waring the Fourth is assistant professor of ophthalmology and director of refractive surgery at the Storm Eye Institute of the Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston, South Carolina. Peter Karth comes to us from the Argon Eye Consultants in Eugene, Argon. Ask questions of Dr. Waring, Dr. Karth, or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As seen from here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.